Beginning in Matthew 6:19, Jesus shifted the focus of the Sermon on the Mount to the public lives of kingdom citizens. First, he addressed the issue of wealth, Matthew 6:19-24. Though posterity, property, and possessions are blessings from God, as believers we must be careful not to view such things through the lens of greed, selfishness, or contempt for the poor. Instead, earthly wealth should be viewed through the lens of righteousness. Using wealth righteously results in caring for the needs of the poor and supporting the church, missionaries, and ministries. When earthly wealth is used righteously, we as believers will make investments with heavenly returns. Second, Jesus addressed the issue of worry, Matthew 6, 25-34. He addresses this issue because the number one thing people do with wealth is worry. Some worry they do not have enough to meet their basic needs. Others, though financially well-off, still worry about having enough wealth that they become selfish and greedy. To those who worry, Jesus says, stop worrying. And to those who are not worrying, Jesus says, do not start worrying. We do not need to worry because God is in control. His care for the flowers and the birds demonstrates how much he cares. His point is that since God cares for lowly things, such as flowers and birds. He will also care for those creatures that he has made in his image and likeness. Now, Jesus addresses the issue of judgment and the kingdom citizen. In Matthew 7, 1-6. The issue of judgment and the kingdom citizen. Matthew 7, 1-6. The connection between wealth, worry, and judgment cannot be missed. Just as rich and poor worry over wealth, one judges the other over their wealth or lack thereof. The poor judge the rich, presuming them to be privileged and arrogant. The wealthy judge the poor, presuming that their poverty is partly due to bad choices or laziness. While some rich are privileged and arrogant, and some are poor because of bad choices or laziness, the fact is that such accusations are not representative of all the rich or all the poor. Sadly, The church is not exempt from such judgments as illustrated in James 2, 2 2-4. For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes, and say, you sit here in a good place, and you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down by my footstool, Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? The judgment of the poor and the rich in this illustration is an indictment against believers. Impressed with an individual's jewelry and dress, these believers invited him to sit in the best seats. The poor, however, were pushed to the side, out of the way, not to draw attention away from others. As such, James indicts these believers on two counts. First, they were discriminating. Second, they were judging with evil motives. To judge with evil or immoral motives is to pass judgment according to preconceived ideas and faulty standards. Such judgments are a violation of God's law. Leviticus 19.15 commands, You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor defer to the great, but you are to judge your neighbor fairly. 
Friends, the more we interact with others, the more opportunities for judgment arise. Regardless, as kingdom citizens, we must guard against discriminatory judgments motivated by unjust or impure standards. To that end, Jesus addresses the issue of judgment and the kingdom citizen. In doing so, he sets forth three admonishments. Judge righteously, judge without hypocrisy, and judge responses to the gospel. Now, regarding judgment in kingdom citizens, Jesus admonishes us to judge righteously in Matthew 7, 1-2. Matthew 7, 1-2. Let's read it. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Again, he's admonishing us to judge righteously. Judging righteously. Jesus begins with a command, Do not judge so that you will not be judged. The verbs judge and judged translate the same Greek term, krino. However, their grammatical usage in the text creates two different meanings. In the phrase, do not judge, the verb judge is a present active imperative, meaning to speak critically against someone. In the phrase, you will not be judged, the verb judged is an aorist passive subjunctive, meaning to render judgment or punishment upon someone for sin. Hence, Jesus commands us not to speak critically against others. And if we do speak critically, we will be punished by God. Now, there is a difference between critiquing and criticizing. A critique is a fair assessment or examination which offers positive solutions to correct an issue. Criticism, however, is an excessive negative attitude of unfair fault-finding that tears down or destroys someone. Sadly, the church is filled with people who have the gift of criticism. Friend, you need to beware of the gift of criticism. The gift of criticism is not a gift of the Holy Spirit. Instead, it is a gift of Satan, the original slanderer. Being critical or having a critical spirit is not something that you should be proud of, believer. A critical spirit is motivated by jealousy. It's motivated by bitterness. It's motivated by selfishness. You see, as a critical person, you're quick to pass judgments based upon unreasonable standards, assumptions, or without knowledge of the other person's motives. As Grant Osborne explains, those with a critical spirit are looking down on others and enjoying telling them how wrong they are. There is no love in the process. Hence, we must examine ourselves. We must rid ourselves of such attitudes. A critical spirit emanates in four ways. It emanates in gossiping, slandering, fault-finding, and complaining. Gossiping is sharing information about others to cast them in a bad light. Slandering is sharing false information to destroy someone's reputation. Fault-finding is habitually pointing out others' flaws or shortcomings with nagging. Complaining is habitually railing about the negatives in someone else's life. Friend, if you gossip, slander, fault-find, or complain, you have a critical spirit. 
And any believer who discovers that they have a critical spirit must repent and forsake their critical spirit before judgment comes. Examine yourself. Jesus restates his command in verse 2. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. Again, the verb judge in the phrase, the way you judge, is the present active form of crino, referring to talking critically against someone. In the phrase, you will be judged, the verb be judged is future passive, implying judgment for sin. Hence, Jesus says that we will be punished for the sin of criticism. The repetition of this prohibition against having a critical spirit and the resulting divine judgment underscores how prevalent this issue is amongst believers. Friends, instead of judging with a critical spirit, we are to judge righteously. Ergo, Jesus provides the following proverb. By your standard of measure, it will be measured you. The proverb is drawn from Soda 1-7 of the Babylonian Talmud, which states, By that same measure by which a man meets out to others, do they meet out to him. Now, the Jewish proverb derives from the law of fair trade is found in Leviticus 19.35-36. You shall do no wrong in judgment, in measurement of weight or capacity. You shall have just balances, just weights, a just ephah, and a just hand. For trade to be fair or equitable, vendors' weights and balances had to be just. The point of the proverb is that righteous judgment holds the judge to the same standard or law with which he or she judges others. As Jesus says in John 7:24, judge with righteous judgment. Righteous judgment is judgment based upon the moral standard of God's law. An unrighteous standard produces judgments that are unjust and partial and critical. Now let's consider some areas where we should not render judgment. Areas where we should not render judgment. First, we should not judge someone's motives. John 7, 24. Do not judge according to the appearance. The term appearance, opsis, refers to one's motives. Only God sees the heart, and therefore only God can determine a person's motivations. So we should not judge one's motives. Second, we should not judge others for issues of conscience. We should not judge others for issues of conscience. Scripture says, now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat, and the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. One person regards one day above another, another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. Romans 14, 1-5. We should not judge others for issues of conscience. Third, we should not judge the service of other Christians. We should not judge the service of other Christians. 1 Corinthians 4, 1-5. Let a man regard us in this manner, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. But to me, it is a very small thing that I may be examined by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even examine myself, for I am conscious of nothing against myself, yet I am not by this acquitted. But the one who examines me is the Lord. Therefore, 
Do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. And then each man's praise will come to him from God. We must not judge the service of other Christians. Next, we must only judge others by the standards by which we would judge ourselves. We must only judge others by the standards which we would judge ourselves. Biblically-based judgment against others is justifiable only to the degree that those judging judge themselves by the same standard, namely the Scripture. Remember the warning of James 2.13, For judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy. Those merciful in judging others righteously will find mercy when judged by God. However, my friend, if you show no mercy in your judgments against others, you will find no mercy from God on the day of judgment. Again, examine yourself. How are you judging? If you're judging another believer's service, if you're judging another believer's conscience, if you're judging another believer's motives, then my friend, you need to be careful because you are violating Scripture and you need to repent. Sadly, Matthew 7, 1, judge not, is applied by Christians and non-Christians alike as a prohibition against any form of judgment. However, we need to be clear, this was not Jesus' intention. The prohibition against judgment is given in the context of applying the golden rule, Matthew 7, 12. In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want to be treated, for this is the law and the prophets. Hence, the command to not judge is given in the context of treating others as one would want to be treated. The prohibition against judging is not a flat command against all forms of judgment. It is not a prohibition against critical thinking. It is not a prohibition against discerning between truth and error. In the immediate context of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus passed several judgments upon the Pharisees. If Jesus were prohibiting all forms of judgment, he would have had to prohibit his own words. Furthermore, throughout Scripture, we as believers are commanded to make judgments. Some of these commands are given to believers individually, and some are given to the church corporately. For example, believers, you and I, not the court of law, must judge lawsuits that arise between fellow believers. 1 Corinthians 6, 1 and 2 and 5. Does any one of you, when he has a case against his neighbor, dare go to a court of law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? If the world is judged by you, are you not competent to constitute the smallest law court? I say this to your shame. Is it so that there is not among you one wise man who will be able to decide between his brethren, but brother goes to law with brother, and that before unbelievers? So we are to judge lawsuits or issues that arise between fellow Christians. Next, we as believers are to judge the teachings of preachers and teachers for biblical soundness. Jesus says in Matthew 7, 15 to 16, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Paul admonished in 1 Corinthians 14, 
29. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others pass judgment. The Apostle John warned believers in 1 John 4, 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Again, we must judge the teachings of preachers and teachers for biblical soundness. Next, we must judge whether someone is or is not a believer. Paul admonishes in 2 Corinthians 6.14, Do not be bound together with unbelievers, for what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness, what fellowship has light with darkness. We are to judge believer. We are to judge when a supposed believer refuses to repent. Jesus says in Matthew 18.17, If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you. Let him be judged as a Gentile and a tax collector. In 1 Corinthians 5.11, Paul admonished the church to judge unruly believers. I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is an immoral person or covetous or idolater or reveler or a drunkard or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. Now, friends, when we are called upon to judge, we must judge righteously. We must judge according to the moral standards of God's law. I give you the warning to beware of judging someone's motives, beware of judging their service, as only God knows the thoughts and intents of their heart. Beware, believer, of developing a critical spirit that tears down others through gossip, slander, fault-finding, or complaining. Now, too often, judgment is unjust. And because judgment is often unjust, People are quick to object to any and all forms of judgment. We must respond biblically to these common objections. When someone says to you, well, the Bible says not to judge, you need to respond explaining that Matthew 7 does not condemn all judgment, merely unjust judgment or judging with a critical spirit. When others object and say, well, it's not fair to judge others, you need to be clear that such an objection is faulty because it paints with a broad brush. There are plenty of situations in which it's not only fair, but just to render judgment. Is it not fair to judge a pedophile who robbed a child of their innocence? Is it not fair to judge a rapist who stole a woman's innocence? Is it not fair to judge a murderer who stole someone's life? Overwhelmingly, it is fair to judge the pedophile, the rapist, and the murderer. Furthermore, that there are unjust judges does not imply that all judgments should be dismissed. The Bible commands us to judge, albeit fairly. God commands in Leviticus 19.15, You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor defer to the great, but you are to judge your neighbor fairly. We'll have others will object and say, Well, only God can judge me. Friends, the scripture is clear that God has appointed human judges to judge in his place. He said to the judges, Consider what you are doing, for you do not judge for man, but for the Lord, who is with you when you render judgment. 1 Chronicles 19.6 To those who invoke the popular excuse, Well, it's not my place to judge. Paul asks in 1 Corinthians 6.3, Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more matters of this life? It is the God-given responsibility of believers to judge. Nonetheless, believers, we must judge righteously. We must judge righteously. Now regarding judgment in kingdom citizens, Jesus next admonishes us to judge without hypocrisy in Matthew 7, 3-5. Judging without hypocrisy. Matthew 7, 3-5. Let's read it. 
Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Again, Jesus is admonishing us to judge without hypocrisy. Now, judging without hypocrisy requires judging yourself before judging others. To make his point, Jesus engages in some hyperbole about a speck and a log. Now, a speck, karphos, refers to particles of sawdust. A log, dokas, is a thick piece of wood used as the load-bearing beam in a house. No doubt Jesus' time in Joseph's carpenter shop provides the background for his illustration. Too often, Jesus says, we are quick to look at the speck that is in our brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in our own eye. Now here the speck of sawdust refers to a minor fault in someone else's life. The log or the beam is the fault in the person with the critical spirit. The ridiculousness of this exaggerated illustration drives home Jesus' point. We are quick to find minor faults in others while ignoring the same faults or bigger faults in our own lives. Now, as if the illustration was not enough to make his point, Jesus adds a new level of ridiculousness to his illustration. The guy with the beam in his eye says to the guy with the sawdust in his eye, let me take the speck out of your eye. Imagine a doctor with a log in their own eye trying to remove sawdust from someone else's eye. No one in their right mind would let a blind man perform eye surgery. Now, while sawdust in the eye is irritating, it typically does not result in blindness. Letting a blind man, however, operate on someone else's eye will undoubtedly result in the blinding of the other person. And so, too, when believer, when we are critical and judge unrighteously, we do more harm than good. To those of you with a critical spirit, Jesus rebukes you and says, You hypocrites. Now remember, a hypocrite, hypocrites, refers to an actor in the theater. Jesus commonly refers to the Pharisees as hypocrites because they were religious actors putting on a show of self-righteousness. Previously in Matthew 6, Jesus warned us to practice our righteousness not for people's applause, not for their attention. And if we do, then we're being hypocrites. Here, he refers to believers with critical spirits as hypocrites. Instead of practicing righteous judgment, they're practicing hypocritical judgment. They are guilty of hypocrisy because they exaggerate the sins of others while minimizing their sins. Is that describing you? Listen, an excellent example of hypocritical judgment is revealed in the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector in Luke 18. Both men went up to the temple to pray. When the Pharisee prayed, he said, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. I'm not a swindler. I'm not unjust. I'm not a adulterer. I'm not even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. See, the Pharisee had a critical spirit. Instead of confessing his sin, he passed hypocritical judgment against the tax collector. He boasts of his supposed righteousness while tearing down the tax collector for his perceived vices. My friend, you need to see your sin is as big or more significant than the sin in someone else's life. 
as Paul declares in Romans 2, 2, 1. Romans 2, 1. Therefore you have no excuse, every one of you who passes judgment, for in that which you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. My friend, if you pass judgment upon someone else for the same sin you're struggling with, don't be surprised when you're judged for the same sin. Now what are we to do? Should we simply ignore the sin of others? Notice what Jesus says. He says, first, take the log out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. The term first, protos, communicates the idea of priority. As such, protos can be translated as of greatest importance. In other words, it's of the utmost or greatest importance that you deal with your sin before dealing with the sins of others. Next, note the term then, tota, meaning subsequently or soon after. Only after dealing with your sin can you deal with the sin of your brother or sister. As Paul admonished the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 11.31, but if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. Listen, the two best ways to avoid God's judgment are to judge yourself first before judging others and to practice righteous judgment. All judgment must be based solely upon God's law whether you're judging yourself or you're judging someone else. Listen, if you're passing judgment based on your emotions or your feelings, instead of being equitable, you're going to be hypocritical. When we deal with our fellow believers who have sinned, let's remember to be motivated by love and admonish them in private. 3rd century AD church father John Chrysostom stated that when dealing with the sin of fellow believers, correct him, but not as a foe nor as an adversary exacting a penalty, but as a physician providing medicines. Friend, if you're driven by anger or hate to confront your brother or sister's sin, you first got to deal with your sin. It's easy to overlook the speck or the sawdust in your life while quickly seeing the log or beam in someone else's life. Overlooking your own sin is hypocrisy. And we must not judge hypocritically. Now regarding judgment in the kingdom citizen, Jesus finally admonishes us to judge responses to the gospel in Matthew 7, 6. Judge responses to the gospel. Now verse 6 alone proves that Jesus was not prohibiting all forms of judgment. His point is here that while believers should not be critical or hypocritical in judgment... They should not ignore overtly wrong things. Let's read Matthew 7, 6. Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them under their feet, and turn and tear you to pieces. Again, Jesus' point is that we should not be critical or hypocritical, but at the same time not ignore overtly wrong things. For example, in Matthew 7:15, Jesus warns us to beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Now, the only way to determine if a preacher or teacher is a false prophet is to judge their fruits. Jesus says in Matthew 7:16, you will know them by their fruits. Fruit refers to their character, conduct, and conversations. Hence, we can judge whether a preacher or teacher is genuine or false by judging their character, conduct, and conversations. In Matthew 7, 6, Jesus focuses upon one critical area where judgment is necessary, an individual's response to the gospel. 
Hence he says, do not give what is holy to dogs and do not throw your pearls before swine. Again, Jesus is using hyperbole uh, of dogs and swine to make his point. Now the law condemned dogs and swine as unclean animals because they do not chew the cud or part the hoof. And you can cross-reference that to Leviticus 11, 3, and 8. Now, dogs are not referring to domesticated pets, but to wild mongrels who scavenged in the dumps. Swine or pigs eat anything available, including rodents and small reptiles. Garbage heaps and rodents are rife with disease. Therefore, God designated these animals as unclean, because of the danger of disease. The Apostle Peter also provides some insight into the designation of dogs and swine as unclean. In 2 Peter 2.2, 2, he says the dog returns to its own vomit, and a sow, after washing, returns to wallow in the mire. Now, scripturally, dogs symbolize those who are evil or practice evil. Psalm 22.16, prophesying of Jesus' death, proclaims, For dogs have surrounded me, a band of evildoers have encompassed me. Paul warned in Philippians 2.22, Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. Along with dogs, the scripture uses swine to depict those who have no discretion or taste for anything of value. Proverbs 11.22 states, As a ring of gold in a swine's snout, so is a beautiful woman who lacks discretion. Now in the context here of Matthew 6, or Matthew 7 verse 6, holy refers to food set aside for use in the temple. Later, the phrase, what is holy, referred to the bread and wine used within the Lord's Supper. For example, in the Didache, an ecclesiastical writing from the close of the first century A.D., states in verse 5 of chapter 9, Let no one eat or drink of your thanksgiving, but they who have been baptized in the name of the Lord. For concerning this also the Lord hath said, Give not that which is holy to the dogs. You see, the early church applied Matthew 7, 6 to the practice of communion refusing to serve anyone who is not born again and baptized. In other words, they passed judgment upon the unbaptized, judging them unworthy to partake of the Lord's table. Now, returning to Matthew 7, 6, a rational person would not give sacred food to an unclean garbage scavenger. Besides the fact that it was holy or sacred, there was the potential that the dog would turn and tear you to pieces. Furthermore, a rational person would not toss their precious and costly pearls into a feeding trough. Upon discovering the inedible pearls, the pig would spit them out in the mud and trample them under their feet. Now, in this illustration, the holy food and the pearls symbolize the gospel. Hence, Jesus is warning us to judge with whom we share the gospel. Some people are like dogs and swine. That is, they are evil and have no taste for the gospel. Jesus is not prohibiting sharing the gospel with everyone. However, he is prohibiting continued evangelism with those who, after hearing the gospel, have rejected it or not responded positively to it. On two occasions, Paul did just what Jesus prescribed. Acts 13.46 says that Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first. Since you repudiated it and judged yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. Also in Acts 18.6, it reveals that when they resisted and blasphemed, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads, I am clean. From now on, I'll go to the Gentiles. Now, friend, every one of us as believers, as Christians, must share the gospel. 
We must make disciples wherever and whenever we have the opportunity. However, indifference to the hearer's rejection of the gospel message can produce a more hardened heart. How many individuals have been lost to the gospel message forever because some would-be evangelist kept bashing them over the head with the gospel? We need to be discerning. We need to use sound judgment in sharing the gospel. Friend, if someone flat out rejects the message, move on. Do not continue wasting your valuable time and energy on those who are evil and have no taste for the things of God. Heed the words of Matthew 10:14. Whoever does not receive the, you nor heed your words as you go out of that house or city, shake the dust off your feet. Believers must judge responses to the gospel. Listen, share the gospel with everyone. But when rejected, move on to the next opportunity. Kingdom citizens, we must guard our attitudes towards others. Beware of having a critical spirit. Don't gossip, don't slander, don't fault find, don't condemn. You can critique, but don't criticize. You can exercise judgment, but don't be judgmental. Build up one another, do not tear down. Beware of being a hypocrite. Beware of condemning the sins of others while excusing your own sins. Before confronting others about their shortcomings or sins, make sure you deal with your own shortcomings and sin. Hold yourself to the same standard you hold others. And finally, beware of aggressive evangelism. Share the gospel with everyone, but when rebuffed, move on and find another person with whom to share the gospel. Their rejection doesn't mean that you failed to present the gospel. The failure is on the part of the rejector. They failed to perceive and understand the words that grant eternal life. Let's make sure that we judge without hypocrisy and that we judge righteously. Let's pray. We come to you, Father, through the precious blood of the Lamb. Father, you are the righteous, the holy judge who judges without hypocrisy. And we ask you to help us judge righteously as you do. We confess that left to our own selves, to our own devices, we're critical, we're hypocritical. We confess that we're guilty of gossiping, slandering, fault-finding, and complaining. Forgive us of these sins, Lord. Lead us into your word so that we might see people through the lens of righteousness. Lord, we ask that you would receive the praise as you do a good work in us, as you make us righteous. And we pray these things and say, Amen.